this was a mechanical change that should have been there from the get-go. Should not have been part of this announcement. Yeah. yeah. I think that's more my complaint. <laughs> I'm fine with the change, but uh, it's a white man's lumping of issues is what that is. <laughs> Dangerous Pylons in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 256 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing the characters that make everyone else better. Support. But first, the party races to the rescue in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the accomplice is just here to help in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Elderwood Academy. Elderwood Academy are artisans who craft amazing gaming products, including dice towers, dice trays, dice boxes, deck boxes, dice, and more. All products are crafted to look like spellbooks, scroll cases, codices, and other awesome fantasy gear that we love, like the Atlas Spellbook. We talked before, you can get, you know, custom uh, spellbooks. They open up inside. They've got a dry erase board. They, you know, have spaces to hold your dice and notes and all that kind of thing. Uh, now you can get fantasy atlases like maps right on the the cover of them uh which i really like they're like in in gold foil um lots of options for uh different wood and leather yeah and you get like little like runic signature looking things on them it's cool it's a it's a neat little design i like runic looking things it uh it would not be the strangest looking thing on my shelf (laughs) no and we're not even talking about gaming products All right, so if that sounds cool, you can check it out and look at many more at elderwoodacademy.com slash don't split. All right, so this week, uh, we've had some chatter on our Discord. There's been some talk on the internet. Uh, Wizards of the Coast released, um, I don't know, an article, basically a compilation of tweets, essentially, talking about uh, where they're headed in terms of diversity. Um, this should probably should happen a long time ago, a lot of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things that are happening uh, in the future, they are going to begin to move away from uh, depicting humanoid races or cultures as evil. Uh, they call out the orcs and the drow here specifically. I mean, that's what Bob Salvatore has been trying to do since like 1987, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. They do admit that uh, Tomb of Annihilation... Uh, which we have called out before in terms of the way they describe uh, people in Chult in our Forgotten Realms review, uh, and also Curse of Strahd in the way that uh, they characterize the Vistani, who are obviously uh, Romani analogs, uh, are racially insensitive. They don't really say exactly how they have been racially insensitive, but they do say they have adjusted the language, and current reprints of both of those products now include what they call better language, although I haven't actually seen uh, what they changed it to, so I I don't know. I cannot wait for the internet to do what it does and for that awful segment of the population to start paying a premium for the racist version. Oh, God. (laughs) Finding them on eBay? Yeah. Okay, okay. so they're also uh, bringing on a Romani consultant in order to rework the portrayal of the Vistani going forward in at least two products. I'm kind of like why are you doubling down on like hey vistani are actually fantasy romani like yeah that's backwards they they don't have to be right (laughs) (laughs) like the the answer there is to fix what you have to fix which is curse of strahd and then stop just stop get rid of them like that's the answer make them something else and and here's the thing in fourth edition they did they like 
moved away from having them being like a humanoid people with like olive skin and and made it so that it was an adoptive culture right like it it was just um the the trope of like the traveling circus who like takes in people who don't fit in in their their families right you right. like run away and join the vistani i mean vistani was a bad name because it sounds it's it's 50% romani right right uh, and of course they had the whole like evil eye thing that you get in ridiculous um like gypsy and irish traveler tropes so that was unfortunate but like they had already started moving in that direction in fourth edition and the fifth edition they were just like eh, never mind we're we're going back to the old vistani um definitely eastern european people <laughs> right like <laughs> the uh the culture war of D D 5e of like oh no sjw's are ruining D D 5e and the amount of just like complete reversion to history for the sake of it being the old way is like i don't know like whiplash and now we just end up in this situation where they have to be like oh no i guess the sjws were right because of course they were right <laughs> right uh, anyway um so they're also talking about improving the diversity of their freelance pool which is great um bringing in uh consultants for other products and, and various other reasons we noticed one thing in a mystic adventures in theros whatever it's called um mythic odysseys that's it that's yeah. it they brought in a a greek culture consultant so that's great that the first culture consultant <laughs> was a white guy <laughs> but like uh, glad you did right because i mean it's so very sure like, i hey, feel this is... real good that these aren't like <laughs> greek stereotypes please i i will say though that like i mean just just watch to see who they hire and how many right like it, it it doesn't actually change a culture to bring in like one token person. Like I've talked to several people who who know who have said there was at least one black person in the room when like that whole Pepsi Kendall Jenner debacle was presented to the client and everyone signed off on it. And that one person didn't feel empowered to be like, actually, this is this is pretty ridiculous and also kind of racist because they didn't want to lose their job because then they wouldn't have been in the room anymore. Right, right. Exactly. So like, yeah, it won't, it won't be enough to just be like, Oh, don't worry. We have a uh, one black freelancer and uh, it's fine. Like, you know, it needs to actually be like a, an entire culture shift. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, the, the other kind of big news in here uh, for, for players, the, the one that will actually, I think be like directly felt in the game itself, right? Not just the surrounding material is um, they're going to release options to decouple ability score bonuses from races in 5th edition, which, great. Pathfinder's already done it. Yeah. Like, it's very simple, actually. Plus two, plus one. We know how to do this. It's You, you could have done it before. Put it where you want. Your ability score bonuses is based not on your biology uh, or, or, like, your genetic biology, but, like, on who you are as an individual because you're an adventurer and a hero. Right, and like you have monster stat blocks that represent like your I don't know whatever baseline physiology of a given species, like fine, right? Like, who cares? Um, it's to me this is the weirdest part of this though. Is like this does nothing for actual people. Like there was there was never biological trutherism in D anD D. Like that wasn't <laughs> the source of this, right? It's it was just a mechanical like holdover. So usually, if you had a reasonable GM, you could be like, um. Well, my dwarf was raised by elves and and probably no doesn't know how to use a like a an urgrosh and a warhammer. Can I switch those out? And they probably don't speak dwarven. And, and your GM was like, "Yeah, that's cool. Works yeah. for me. Cool backstory." I, yeah. Right. Again, this is harmless. This is a harmless change. This 
hurts no one so fine make the change but like you don't get to pat yourself on the back about this one sorry right and and like it is is a bit weird to be like and it's part of our diversity conversation like (laughs) right all all right you know i don't want to play an orc who necessarily has to be like dumber than they normally would be and and can i tie that to other like uh, ugly uh tropes yes i certainly can but have your diversity conversation and like fix like who you're hiring and and the depictions of like actual real people in your products and then you know this was a mechanical change that should have been there from the get-go should not have been part of this announcement yeah yeah i think that's more my complaint (laughs) i'm fine with the change but uh it's a white man's lumping of issues is what that is (laughs) I also think that, uh, they're probably going to start moving away from the word race. That's just my guess. Um, they use folk a lot in this announcement. I wonder if they're going to go in that direction. I think uh, Pathfinder already uses ancestry. Yeah, whatever. We'll see. Uh, species, like... Maybe. I, whatever. Like, I don't know. Sci-fi has solved this. We don't, you know, whatever. Fantasy is <laughs> decades behind, I guess. Enough bagging on D&D and briefly celebrating them. Let's move on to the Gates of Morning campaign. The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Emberon, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, on the lightning rail to Korth, the party is chasing a killer. Well, I think technically the killer has come for the party. It seems that way, certainly. <laughs> and is succeeding so far at uh, what it's good at, which is killing party members. Mm-hmm. So yes, this this large undead uh, creature sort of made of a, an amalgam of different kinds of undead creatures. There's like zombie parts and and bone and and shade uh, all lumped together in, in a 10 foot tall hulk has stabbed both Lenore and Bach with its bone claws and hurled their unconscious forms out the windows of the speeding lightning rail. Then the creature attacks Zan and tosses him out too for good measure. <laughs> Uh, but before it can do the same thing to switch, uh, Warden is able to revive her, and she runs the creature through with her rapier. Uh, Zan's curse captures some of its ebbing life force, and he awakens with a gasp on the side of the train track. Well, lightning rail track. That was a nice moment when Brian was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I have a curse. I have a curse because I'm a warlock, and I cursed it. I think that means I gained some <laughs> HP. It's not better, actually. I think it was the first time it actually triggered. Yeah, but it's not actually better for him. (laughs) No, he's just awake on the side. He's still not on the train. (laughs) So knowing that the conductor isn't going to stop the lightning rail for anything after attack, that's house Orion protocol. Um, Otherwise, people would just attack the train, the conductor would stop, and then they would just rob the train. Yeah, this is like Wild West, like train robbery rules, right? Right. You you never (laughs) stop the train. (laughs) So switch the paladin just leaps out the window uh, after the rest of the party. And Warden does the same thing, although he sprouts uh, dragonfly wings so that he doesn't plummet to the ground. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not taking the damage for that. And as the train disappears off to the west, both of them sprint back towards Lenore and Bach, although since they're probably about 500 feet away, they know they're never going to make it there in time to revive them. Fortunately, by the time they get to Lenore's body, where she landed, in a pool of her own blood, they find that she's unconscious after stabilizing on her own, which basically means uh, Steph uh, made her successive death-saving throws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, we had to luck that one out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a near thing. 
In a nearby train car, Bramble and Vesicod have heard the commotion of battle, but by the time they push their way through the escaping passengers, everything is over. Uh, they leap through the broken window after Warden's switch and race back to help the others. Vesicod uses a bit of his psionic magic to make the shifter fleet of foot, hasting him, if you will, and Bramble speeds along to their dying companion, getting to Bach just in time to heal him before he can bleed out. Then Warden conjures a healing spirit to get everybody back on their feet, but through the thick fog away to the south, he starts to hear a series of unnatural howls. So we take a vote on our next move. Half the group want to move south towards the edge of the Mornland to find the location that Ephra marked on his map. The other half want to continue on to Korth to meet with House Orion. Uh, the fact that Ephraim's coffin is still sitting on the train because nobody <laughs> grabbed that before we ran out <laughs> kind of settles the discussion. Uh, so that settles it, and they devise a plan to hop on the next lightning rail. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are talking about support characters. Ishan, your favorite kind of character. You know what? You're actually right. I love playing support characters, although I didn't used to. Uh, it, it took a, it was an evolution for me as a player. So, so uh -huh. all right. every gamer knows that a good party needs support, right? You need your healer. You need some buffing. Uh, some kinds of control also count uh, as, as support. You, you remember back when we used to have debuffing was a thing? Oh, yeah. Debuffing still totally a thing. <laughs> okay. I, I love a good debuff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Although you're the you're the video gamer, it, it, has that fallen out of uh, out of favor? No, it's huge in video games. It's it's lousy in fifth edition. Like there's like control is there, but uh, but like straight debuff is is actually pretty oh yeah, uncommon. like it's just a straight like here's a here's a malice to uh, an opponent opponent's ability. Yeah, yeah, like... it's not as good. Often these support responsibilities get spread out across an entire party, right? But some roles or classes are just straight up better at it. They're built for it. And you can have a particular PC who's totally dedicated to it. The problem is traditionally, uh, it's lame. There's the thing with the champion fighter as like, it's the little brother class, right? Like this is the character you make your little brother play when your mom makes him, like makes you let him join the game. Mm -hmm. That's garbage because that role is the cleric because <laughs> nobody wants to heal. Nobody ever gave their kid sibling the fighter which is rad they gave them the cleric to heal my first character ever was a cleric because i didn't know what i was doing and my friends were like here you can be the cleric because we don't know what you're doing your sphere is healing right <laughs> <laughs> what do i do oh you heal us <laughs> okay cool <laughs> okay so make the case for it <laughs> <laughs> all right so Playing primary support can be fun and rewarding, not just for the player who is in that role, but for the entire group. But I think that's only really the case if the GM and the party actually know what they're doing. Let's talk a bit about the theory of support. You know, why would you even want it in a game? Why doesn't everyone just play an awesome, cool, amazing character? I like that implication that they're not. <laughs> well, I mean, awesome, th that's cool that's uh, that's the the position most people are starting from, right? And right. certainly, the position I had when I st first started playing was like, I want big numbers, man. Right. I just want a bigger pile of dice. Yeah. Seriously. All right. So support is a force multiplier, right? It makes the party better at doing what it already does 
or it makes them competent or pretty good at things it's generally bad at or can't do at all. Yeah, the support character is distinct in that it probably isn't defeating challenges on its own, but it's instead making those challenges easier to overcome or faster to overcome for the party as a whole. Hey, does that does that sound good? Uh, players who who've just sat through six hours of combat. <laughs> yeah, faster combat. So this does mean though that a party can't be all support, right? But after you have a critical mass of other roles, you have people who are you know dealing the damage, you have people who are handling other other pillars, social um, and things like that. Support tends to be better than having an additional redundancy. So it's better to bring in a support character who can help everyone else be much better at their roles um, or, you know, be better at the thing they want to be good at. Right. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be broken down into you know, mechanical roles. Um, that's usually better than bringing on someone who's just going to do something that someone else already does. Yeah. And this isn't all about just mechanics and like, you know, damage per round calculations. Mm -hmm. This is going to tie directly into the fun you have at the table because it's more fun to be better at what you do, to succeed more often, to hit more often, to deal more damage, to, you know, avoid the encounter by sneaking by when you need to. Like all of those things, like they ultimately give you more agency. Right. Is what that results in. Yeah. In the story. Agency tends to be fun in the story versus, you know, whatever the opposite is. I don't know. Ungency. Is that it? <laughs> Let's go with that. Ungency. You're just stuck. <laughs> Yeah, like if you think about it, when when you declare what you're going to do on your turn, whatever game you're playing, um, you're you're really saying, "Here's what I hope happens," mm -hmm. and I guess we'll find out. Let's roll some dice, right? Uh, and anything that makes it more likely the dice is go the dice are going to go your way increases your agency, increases the amount of um, active input that you have into the story, right? You can react to a bad role, certainly, and like weave that into your story, but it does mean changing your idea of what you thought was going to happen. As somebody who has spent an entire three-hour fight in a force cage, let me tell you, it's fun when fights either don't go three hours or when you have some option available to you to avoid dealing with that. If we had a support character, maybe I could have gotten out of my force cage. Someone who could have disintegrated for you. Um, I think there have been multiple combats where poor Brian has spent the entire time stunned because he could not make an intelligence saving throw. But of course, who can make an intelligence saving throw? Yeah, exactly. the artificer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All of this does need to be balanced with the fun of the support player. You can be a very effective support character, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have fun. And we'll get into that in a bit later. Yeah, that's the social engineering side of support, right? Right. All right, so let's talk about some uh, methods. How do you play support? Uh, buffing. Yeah, I think that's that's the first and like most obvious one, right? You you're making another PC better. This usually means you're giving them, you know, bigger numbers or a larger dice pool. Um, but it can also mean giving them completely new abilities. Like if you cast fly on someone else, now they can fly. Uh, there that changes uh, their tactical situation completely. You can give them damage resistance. Uh, maybe you let them see in the dark. Whatever it is. This is probably the most straightforward way to help the party. Uh, and the one that is most directly appreciated by the rest of the group, right? Like when you're the fighter and you grab haste, cool. I get an extra attack. I know what to do with this. Yeah, and I think that's going to come up a lot in this entire discussion of, of support. Like so much of this has to do with how much your actions are appreciated. Like, you know, if you are the fighter and you're dealing big damage with your great axe and you're critting all the time and like chopping off goblin heads, that's the reward, right? 
if you've decided to play this type of character, it doesn't necessarily matter. I mean, it can be nice, but it doesn't necessarily matter if the other players are like, whoa, that was awesome, good job. When you're support, though, now you're watching the fighter use the magic weapon that you gave them to chop off all those goblin heads, but now the fighter is getting the accolades and you are not necessarily getting them. So that needs to happen in there somewhere. Yeah. In terms of logistics, your long-lasting buffs, your mass buffs, the ones that affect a bunch of uh, characters or like everybody at the table are going to be the easiest to track. You can just like put a little flag on the table, right? Hey, this flag means that everybody has bless, right? Here's your D4. Just remember your D4. Uh, you can put counters on on those characters. You know, you don't have to like keep removing them uh, because the the buff is is only there for like one round. Yeah, and and because they're mass, that means that everybody is using it, so it's harder to forget that you have that one unique thing. Yeah. Whereas your smaller, your short term, your individual buffs are more easy to forget. So you might need to come up with some conventions to remind those players that they have abilities and that they should use them. Yeah, when you're playing dedicated support, reminding other people about what they have is like 50% of your job. You know, because <laughs> yeah. you're gonna like you're gonna like do a thing that that helps everybody, but now in order for it to actually matter. You you need to sort of like knock on the table and be like, hey, re recall that you have this or else it's like they don't have it. So a couple ways to do this. You can remind them every single time it's going to matter. Every single time that another player picks up their dice to roll an attack or or whatever, you can be like, hey, remember, you've got a D4 on this roll. Uh, remember, you've got a minus 10 on this, you know, so just recall that now that you're making this roll. Or you could do it the cool way, which is... Only remind them when it matters. Oh, no, you missed by two? Why don't you roll that d4 and see if you hit? Yeah, or no, no, you hit. Remember, you've got the red dot site I made for you. Right. You have, exactly. a, you have a minus 10 to this. You hit. You got it. That, that's the selfish support. <laughs> right. It does require, like, you got you to gotta pay attention the whole time. Right. You, you've got to so do a little math in your head, like, oh, is this going to matter? Is it not going to matter? Yeah. I would say the key here is like just be consistent um, in how you're doing this, although your approach might differ between different players, right? Like you might have someone who just forgets every once in a while in the heat of the moment or whatever, but is usually like really good at remembering. You probably only need to remind them when it's going to matter. Other players are sometimes a lot more forgetful and really need that assistance where every single time, every round, you're like, hey, remember this thing. Hey, remember this thing. Hey, you have this thing. Don't worry about it. You remember it. So then the other part of this is if your activities are unappreciated, stop doing them. Stop handing out those bardic inspirations. Stop casting bless on people who aren't remembering to use it. You know, like just give it to someone else. Like use your abilities for people who will actually take advantage of them and appreciate that you're doing it. Yeah, I played in a game one time, a uh, fourth edition game uh, where I was an artificer handing out like bonuses all the time. It was like one of my favorite characters. And there was just a, a guy who was like, he just sort of refused to take into account his plus one on all his attack rolls every time because he, he was just like, eh, it's just a plus one. Okay, but, th that, but that's, that's my pl plus one. <laughs> right, and 5% of the time you, you hit more off. What? What? <laughs> yes. It costs you nothing to add plus one, man. Like <laughs> right. <laughs> also, it costs me something to give it to you. Be cool. Right. So I just stopped giving it to him, you know? <laughs> All right, let's talk about the inverse of that, debuffing. Yeah, so a monster that is easier to hit is functionally the same as a party that has a better bonus to hit. It can, in some instances, even be better because all the party members are going to get this benefit if, for example, they gang up on this one monster. 
So this is stuff like reducing a target's AC or disadvantage on saving throws or the next saving throw or making them vulnerable to damage or giving a way to overcome their invulnerability or damage resistance, you know, negate their armor, things like that. Right. Paralyzing them, stunning them, locking them in, in place, putting them in a sinkhole buried up to their neck. <laughs> Grappling, <laughs> shoving, <laughs> pinning them to the ground so they're prone, <laughs> pushing them off cliffs, whatever. You just set them on fire. Yeah, I'm a support character. <laughs> <laughs> but it, this can feel like it has less of an impact at the table, even though like if you crunch all the numbers, it probably doesn't. Because the player most affected by this is going to be the GM. Like the character that is affected is an NPC or an enemy who the GM is running. Yeah. And then the other piece of that is that the GM can always fudge to negate the consequences, right? If you can't see the GM's dice, if you can't see the GM's math, there's a level of trust that is required that the impact is actually going to be felt by the table when you can't necessarily directly see the result. And then certain kinds of debuffs are also going to make the enemies less effective. Uh, things like, you know, paralysis or stunning. Uh, that's functionally the same as a defense boost to the party. Like if a monster can't act, then they're not dealing any damage to the party. It, it's sort of like proactive healing. Um, it, it also like it's like additional turns for uh, the entire party, which is like way better than just a, a small like to hit bonus. Yeah, this is uh this is one of those areas where the GM's theater is almost as important as the GM's mechanics, right? Like you might need to send like as a GM, you might need the player to give you reminders that certain things are in effect, but it also might be important that you telegraph the ways that those things impacted the fight, right? Like he was certain that he was going to hit you, but at the last second you dodge out of the way as if magically. Well, that tells you that perhaps disadvantage came into effect, right? Like, or, or even just being that transparent of like, uh, I was going to hit you, but like I have a minus two and now I missed. That sucks, right? Like just, hey, support player, the thing you did impacted the fight. Like that confirmation gives confidence and makes it feel like it's worth continuing doing to the player who has decided to specialize in this. Right. Otherwise, there's, there's no way for people to know, right? Like, this is actually a, a good time for the GM to sort of like make it clear that you are also a player at this table. Like be like, oh man, like I would have crit you, but I had disadvantage. Like let people know that that happened. Like you just avoided a cool thing. I mean, yeah. you know, you a cool thing happened. You avoided something very nasty. Yeah, but uh, keep in mind, you're not going to get any sympathy from your players. They're going to go, oh no, you didn't crit. And that's fine. <laughs> like that. that's the, they're going to antagonize you a bit. That's fine. <laughs> like you will never be the the sympathy story <laughs> it's part of the fun of being the gm you also get to murder their characters so you'll probably need to do the same kinds of reminders uh, in this instance but you'll also need to be reminding the gm right it comes up um when the the gm is running uh the enemy you'll have to remind them that there's a debuff in effect uh or you remind the player hey remember the monster has a debuff uh like that either didn't affect you or affected you differently all right so let's talk about the utility category, kind of the, the broad utility of support characters. Yeah, this is uh, sort of out of combat um, or, or it's more focused on out of combat. There's some overlap here with skill monkeys or face characters, but in general, there's still a focus on making other characters better at the things that they do rather than necessarily being very good at doing the thing yourself. 
Yeah, this is one of those things that like wizards are known for, right? Like a wizard is always balancing their spell list with like damage or control for combat and then like pass without trace and fly. <laughs> you know, the the things that let you just like enhance the party going forward overcoming some of these like non-combat challenges. Yeah, if you look at something like invisibility, right? It doesn't just make a, a person invisible, right? Like in this in the story that that has so many effects. For one, if you make your thief invisible, they're probably going to be much better at doing the thing that they're already pretty good at, right? Like they're supposed to like sneak around at night, uh, climb up to the second story, and figure out a way to get inside the nobles' mansion, right? You do that while you're invisible, you're probably guaranteed to succeed, right? At the same time, though, you put that on the knight in full plate armor, and it makes it even possible for them to attempt some sort of espionage, right? Like, we've got to sneak uh, over the wall uh, into the the castle uh, so that we can, like, throw open the portcullis. The, the knight will never be able to do this because they are so bad at it. Make the knight invisible, though. Now we got a, we got a fighting chance. Yeah, it, uh, that's the pass without a trace thing, right? It's not about making the rogue roll a 40 on a stealth check because that a 40 is the same as a 25, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about giving a plus 10 to the knight in heavy armor so that the knight can roll a 15, <laughs> you know? Like, have a prayer of just doing the thing. Yeah, um, and I think that's a key with, with support, uh, with out-of-combat support is, like, bringing up the minimum rather than necessarily raising the maximum, although often you sort of end up doing both at the same time. Right. Um, the other piece of utility that that can border into combat are a lot of like um, reset abilities. So things like dispel magic, right? That end effects or greater lesser restoration that just like restore somebody to their normal state uh, or healing. Um, and healing is one of those tricky things, especially in 5e, where, mm-hmm. you know, giving somebody 12 hit points when they have 80 probably doesn't mean anything for that character but giving somebody 12 hit points when they have zero means they're back in the fight and they get to take a turn they would have missed right so the the timing of those things is also very important especially like you know if an enemy is doing 25 damage per hit and you give 12 hit points that's one hit you know but if you take them from you know 70 hit points to 85 hit points well maybe they survive an extra round now Right. And this is one of the instances where you sort of need to look at these different pillars, right? Buffing, debuffing, utility, and then look at the mechanics of the game that you're playing. Like, I remember when we were playing uh, Rogue Trader, like, healing was extremely effective because you had such a small, like, wound pool. And Doc, who, you know, in game, we shouldn't have let touch us, honestly. But but mechanically speaking, he was so good. Uh, he was specced for healing that he could basically take you from, like, one more hit and your eyeballs explode, literally, because that's on the crit table, to I'm completely fine and I have absolutely like no damage whatsoever. Yeah, well, Doc's combat drugs were something, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, his whole... And that's a game of rock attack, right? In that one hit... Mm-hmm puts you down and two hits almost certainly kills you and just being able to get a third hit means that you survive a fight because you hit the same way against most enemies um and, and so like yeah that that's a great example of healing is almost like a fight reset in and of itself right yeah and then you know certain games you like healing is expected like it's it's supposed to be happening uh, in game and without it like you're probably not going to survive and then you know you look at a game like 5e where 
it, it's in there because I, I guess it's a trope and you're supposed to be able to heal mid-combat, but it really is not that effective. It's the hit packets, right? It's just what yeah. it comes down to is how big are the packets of damage you take between your ability to act and in 5e. It's a lot of damage each round. Right, it scales so poorly. Like a fifth, mass cure wounds is fifth level, but by then you're taking like 30 damage per hit. Yeah, you better have multiple people laying on the ground if you're going to do a mass heal. Right. Because <laughs> otherwise, most people won't feel it at all. So let's talk about some of the caveats of playing support. Right, because it has a really bad rep, I think often due to these legacy issues, like, hey, you have to play the healer, and especially like in old school D&D, healing was all you could really do, like that was your entire round, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to get everybody off the ground, or we're all going to die, but now I can't actually do anything, I can't use a cool spell, I can't attack, I can't, you know, I'm bored. Right, right. But I think ultimately the the biggest issue here is recognition. Shane, you touched on this a little bit, like, new players value shining in the spotlight. So they value that in other PCs too. The things that stick in their mind are when other people do something really cool and amazing. That's what gets them pumped. That gets them jealous. That gets the shout outs and the accolades. Uh, and it's not just new players like butt kickers and some power gamers are also guilty of this too, where either they want the spotlight on them or they are shining the spotlight on flashy things that are happening. It's important to use your in-game narration to make it clear what's happening and sort of attribute that value to the right person at the right time in a way that like you are calling out what you're doing as a player, right? As the GM, you are acknowledging that the support player has impacted one of your NPCs as the, um, you know, as the rogue taking advantage of it, like you're acknowledging like, oh yeah, the wizard held person, so I'm going to run up and stab him in the kidneys while it's easy. Like, And then, you know, virtual high five. And if you're the player, you can you can step out and do this on, on your own too, right? Like, Hold Monster is a really good spell in 5th edition. So, great, you use Hold Monster. That doesn't do any damage to them, but now everything else auto-crits. That, that is a, amazing. But you can be like, I freeze the owlbear in place with my magic, you're concentrating, right? So like, I'm straining to hold on to this thing. So I yell over to the fighter, you should hit it right now while I've got it frozen. I also think that like, this isn't something that I often see in a game, especially in like more casual groups. But in terms of the narrative, characters should probably be thanking one another. And you usually get this like, hey, thanks for like saving my life or thanks for like the heal back from zero or whatever. But you, you don't usually see and where I think you should see characters being like, hey, thanks for like adding fire to my sword. That that was amazing. Or, you know, thanks for like freezing all the goblins in place while we hack them apart. Like that was so cool and extremely helpful. Yeah, we don't um, like especially in like the D&D kind of realm of games like we don't make space for those kind of scenes very often. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the things I loved about Band of Blades is right. that like you have those back at camp scenes that are specifically meant to allow that, right? So if you did if you did heal somebody in combat and save their life, like you can be sure the GM is going to call that out when you get back to camp of like, hey, talk about that, you know? Yeah, and if you're the kind of player who like really loves those big numbers and is really benefiting from this kind of stuff, like just try to do a better job of, calling it out right i think too often we focus on our own sheet and you know you pencil in that bonus and you're like oh yeah that's right i got a plus 17 to hit in it right now like and 
cool. That's awesome. That's why the support character is doing this in the first place, right? But like tie that into the game and the narrative somehow. Like how does your character feel ab about this, right? Your character isn't like, oh, I have a plus 17. Your character is like, this sword is so sharp. Right. <laughs> and so full of fire. <laughs> it burns so good. I love this. <laughs> This sort of ties into the back of camp scenes that, that you mentioned. Like, it's a good opportunity when you have war stories that you're telling, either in-game or even, you know, years later at the comic book shop, like yeah. hanging around and playing, right? When you're reminiscing about the cool thing that happened, people remember the final blow when, like, someone finally killed the dragon, right? But you rarely bring up that buff or that debuff or, like, the reroll that was granted by another player that made it possible to hit the dragon in the first place. So there we were, five of us down, facing the Tarrasque, <laughs> when we cast Mass Heal. <laughs> <laughs> and then one person stood up and stabbed the Tarrasque for the final blow. Right. But it was really the Mass Heal. Exactly. Right. <laughs> we were just 300 hit points away from winning <laughs> when we caught that Mass Heal. <laughs> It's the Black Arrow that gets all the credit for killing Smaug, right? But really, the Thrush was like, hey, he's got a hole in his scales. <laughs> sure. <laughs> thrush MVP, man. The one thing that we do a lot in our group is calling out the lack of support whenever a player is missing for a week <laughs> and we don't have it. Like, right. we, we have fights that go night and day based on who is actually present in the session because, like, one day we have two hold persons up and another day we have zero hold persons up. And it was probably like six months of that before like the pattern was so obvious. We were like, oh man, combats without a paralyze in fifth edition suck. Yeah, like wait, <laughs> uh, should we do a one shot this week? They're not here. <laughs> Speaking of like, you know, reminding people about like buffs and debuffs. Do you remember actually we did this just this past week in our Dark Sun game in our for our home group. Like, I was trying to deal enough damage to the inside of the dragon to get vomited up. And I was like four hit points short. And then uh, like Angela, who was running, was like, uh, like, check your sheet again. Is there anything you can do? Or was there any damage that you didn't add? Right. And then you were like, oh, dude, remember I hasted you? <laughs> yeah, extra attack. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the extra attack. And like you weren't saying it every round because like I was remembering it. And for some reason, I forgot at that round. You're like, you have an extra attack, dude. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Oh, look, I hit. Oh, look, that's enough. That gets me over the threshold. Haste. Haste did it, man. Yeah, the I mean, the coda to that story is, of course, you were safer inside the dragon's belly than you were on the battlefield, so you just stayed in there. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was good to hit the dragon again. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I would not have gotten the final blow if you hadn't done that extra attack in that moment. So It's true. It's true. It's a, it's a party effort. And, I mean, look, MVP in that was the wish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the support wish, right? Yeah, the support wish. Can right. we please have our hit points back? <laughs> so another thing that I think support players sort of run into, especially in old school groups, is that you'll have other players who are demanding it of you. Like support can be expected sometimes, even at the expense of that individual individual player's fun at the table. Like you'll have people be like, "Uh, you have to heal me. Like I'm the one dealing damage." It's, like. No, I don't care what else you were going to do. I'm down. Heal me. There's so much to that. Like, there's so much to the zeitgeist, too. Because, like, healer or not healers, but support players do this, too, where they, like, kind of self-impose picking spells and abilities that will help the party but mm. aren't necessarily fun for them to use. Like, there's such a thing around that. And it, it's crazy to me because, like, 
I witnessed that not just in D&D, but also in video games, right? Like any team-based kind of composition, role-based game has the same thing where like there's a DPS player whose job is to just do damage. They have the simplest job in the game is time their cooldowns for max damage. And like they complain about not getting enough healing to do their job. And it's like the rest of us are managing an entire fight. (laughs) <laughs> you know like <laughs> the rest of us have to know everything that's going on you are literally the last point of the process right like if we all do our stuff correctly you can still screw it up for us but you can never help us <laughs> like shut up maybe you should have dealt more damage and this threat would be over <laughs> right <That's, laughs> then that's, no one would need healing yeah try headshots <laughs> um but so yeah i mean this is uh it, it it's a it's a long lying toxicity in games in general, right? And I think it comes down to how well you play the game according to somebody else's perception. And that just sucks. Right. So everyone, the support player, the GM, everyone else at the table needs to remember that the person playing support has to maintain agency over their character, right? Like other PCs are not owed the buff. I don't have to make your sword glow with fire. Like I could make someone else's sword do that. I could make my sword do that, you know? Yeah, like I can bless I know Bless is one of the best spells in the game. I know that. But maybe I want to concentrate on a spell for me. So piss off. Right. And you certainly can't demand that like you be healed over other actions or you be healed over other characters, right? Uh, especially if the support player is making the calculations that they're probably very good at and spec for to make to take the action that is most effective for everybody. Sure, you're on the ground and like you're whining because you don't get to deal any damage, but I also could just paralyze the entire field rather than getting you up. Why don't I do that? And like everyone will benefit from that. Right. Rather yeah. than you not missing a turn and that's no fun for you. Right. You lose one turn. The rest of us don't lose our lives. Thanks. Right. Thanks. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, totally. Uh, I, I do think this is one of the things that like we try to circumvent when we build heal and support oriented characters in the character creation forge we're always looking for something to do with your action and your bonus action yeah right we always want to do the thing and then have something else to chip in so that you just have maximum action economy to have better odds of getting to do a thing you want to do in addition to the thing that like you're sort of required to by like require is the wrong word but you know like you're sort of expected to you're, you're sort of like fitting your niche a lot of playing support is about the perspective of like are you enjoying what you're doing rather than necessarily the efficacy of it, right? Like I can cast the heal spell and that gets somebody like really back in the fight. Also, I don't roll any dice. I just sort of like do it. And then that's my entire turn, right? That can be kind of dull. Right. It's nice to be able to have something else to do. So you never feel like you've wasted any time either at the table or, you know, in game. Which is why I almost always healing word and then swing an axe (laughs) or I guess a hammer. I I helped you, man. I helped you. (laughs) I mean, a little. Get up. I'm having fun. (laughs) Your adventurer isn't beholden to the other adventurer. So they can just refuse, right? Especially like if the other adventurer is being uh, a big brat or like uh, like yelling at them. Right. (laughs) Right. You've guaranteed I'm definitely not making it, putting your sword on fire now. Yeah. Uh, you can also do this strategically, like the best option at the table for us to finish this fight faster is for me to do something else or just, you know, have an adult conversation about the table. I, yeah. And a lot of this, unfortunately, is out of game problems, right? Out of game expectations. 
a lot of times when it's in character and it's in game, it's actually interesting inter-party conflict, mm-hmm. right? And it's an interesting thing to hash out in character, but um, unfortunately, it's often rooted in expectations above the table. So you need to address those expectations where they are, which is above the table as people, not as characters. And then I think lastly, um, sort of hearkening back to self-imposed restrictions for support players, efficacy can come at the expense of your own fun. So players, make sure that you're actually enjoying yourself. Make sure that like you enjoy being like, hey, you get this bonus. Remember that bonus. And like, make sure that you are reveling in other people's successes, that you understand that you have made that possible and that you enjoy making that possible. Because otherwise, like, why play support? Someone else should do it. Right. And then make sure that you are choosing things that are going to be fun. Like sometimes the best tactical option is not going to be the most fun or I've experienced this uh, relatively recently in our Dark Sun game. Like the best tactical option for me is almost always on my Druid um, to hold monster. Almost always. Because we, we, we have a Paladin. And then get into a form that can just disappear from range to not make any concentration checks ever. Right. And like sometimes it's amazing to be like hold monster uh boom 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 everybody smites the thing and it dies that was super cool it's less awesome to be like for the third fight in a row turn one i'm going to hold monster (laughs) Uh, oh i I missed uh okay next round i guess i'll hold monster (laughs) right (laughs) you just gotta hold the right monsters it's true you're right i you know i should just stop failing their wisdom saving throws (laughs) so mix it up right like don't be a one-trick pony. Um, have a, a lot of interesting, fun things to do so that you have options and don't get bored. Yeah, and, you know, toss a coin to your healer. <laughs> All right, do you hear that, Ishan? The coins are coming in. Everyone has finally decided that uh, a little bit of healing is worth it. Well, let's move on to the Character Creation Forge and spend some coin. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building The Accomplice who doesn't defeat enemies on their own. They just uh, help. Why are you punching yourself? <laughs> I just stand there and make it easier for everyone else to stab you. I didn't stab you. I don't know why I'm being brought up in charges. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the build? Divine Soul Sorcerer 13, Glamour Bard 5, Fighter 2. He's <laughs> really stretching the divinity part of Divine Soul, huh? <laughs> All right, so from Sorcerer, uh, you get cons, uh, constitution saving throw proficiency. This is very important because, of course, you're going to have a lot of concentration spells and you're going to want to be able to make those concentration checks. Yep. You also have the ability to choose cleric spells. So things like resurrection, death ward, uh, restoration, greater, lesser, bless, cure, guidance, etc. And then sorcerer spells, you'll have the hold line, both hold person and hold monster, hypnotic pattern, all of which are basically like encounter enders. Um, things like invisibility, utility spells, dominate person, banishment, haste, and catnap. The ultimate low key support spell. All of your all of your short rests, <laughs> right? Based <laughs> like allies will very much appreciate catnap. And then you'll get meta magic options. I would start with twin and heighten, 
And then you know, for your third option, you can take either careful or quicken, just depending on your party makeup and how things have been working for you so far. Favored by the gods give you gives you an extra 2d4 on an attack or a saving throw, a little bit of help there. And then empowered healing uh, lets you spend a sorcery point to re-roll the healing. So if you do get stuck having to heal on your turn, it at least makes sure that you're much less likely to get a lame result. Then from Bard, we will get Jack of All Trades and Expertise. Of course, just make yourself good at skills. You will also get Mantle of Inspiration, which grants temp HP and free movement to your allies. Uh, and you'll that'll refresh on a um, short rest, which means you can basically do this five times per combat, um, which, like, your combat shouldn't be lasting more than five rounds anyway. But, like, that, that constant supply of temp HP... Uh, frees you up to do other things because then you don't need to heal people as much yeah we i mean we talked about you know healing not being all that effective temp hp is actually super effective in 5e like temp hp lengthens fights and and makes you way more sticky in combat especially when like it's kind of free and you don't really need to spend a lot of resources to do it right well and that's what makes it good is that it's almost always tacked on as like oh here's this extra thing and it's like actually it's super good right (laughs) Uh, and then uh, you'll also, if you talk for a minute, uh, be able to charm an audience. That's a cool out-of-combat ability, but it's also a great ability when you're about to get into combat. <laughs> <laughs> hey, y'all, watch this. <laughs> hey, while they're distracted, uh, stab them in the kidneys. <laughs> then from two levels of fighter, we'll get all of the armor and weapon proficiencies. We'll take defensive fighting style for an AC buff. And then we will get Second Wind uh, for extra temp HP and Action Surge for an extra action uh, once per short rest. Yeah, which is probably going to be casting two full spells in a single round. Because your main tactic here is first round, you're going to hold person or hold monster or mass hold person or hold monster because those scale so well. Like a ninth level hold monster that freezes five Creatures in place is not a waste of a ninth level spell. Ishan, just twin it. <laughs> you you could twin for two at lower levels. It's very true. Uh, you could twin for two at nine. No, it you cost it you nine. To, no, it has to have just one target. Ah, you're right. Yeah, withdrawn. And remember, in fifth edition, if you are paralyzed, then any attack made uh, from five feet away is an automatic crit, which is excellent if you've got. Uh, well, let's see, paladins. Uh, barbarians, rogues, uh, rogues uh, warlocks, uh, pretty much anybody. Anybody. <laughs> Everybody who adds extra damage on hits, basically. Right. So, <laughs> sorry, monks. <laughs> One nice thing here. Oh, also remember, they will um, also automatically um, fail strength and dexterity saving throws. So one kind of cool thing here is like you start off with mantle of inspiration and tell everybody like get out of the way, take it, take temp HP, but like leave, and then you drop a fireball. <laughs> you mean a wizard's lockpick? Yes, exactly. Um, And you can, you know, first round you can hold and now everybody is automatically going to fail your action surge fireball. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Another great use is just like twin banishment or twin haste, right? Those are both huge force multipliers. Um, You can always make scrolls in your downtime so you're not quite as tied to your spells per day kind of limitations or or you can actually get access to extra spells uh, for utility. Mm-hmm. And another option here um, is 
hypnotic pattern is great, but it's not party friendly. So if you did take careful spell instead of quicken, you can just drop it right in the middle of the party and make sure that all of your allies succeed on the saving throw and are unaffected. You can also just have everybody move out of the way if they're you know paying attention and then drop a big uh, hypnotic pattern right in the middle of the enemies. So in terms of leveling order, we'll take five levels of sorcerer, get our third level spells. We'll then take five levels of bard to polish that off, take nine levels of sorcerer, fighter two, and then finish out our sorcerer. Ishan, do you want to do a lightning round character idea? Just tweet length character idea. Okay. Um, this is a lazy mage. I don't like to get my hands dirty. So I'll let you uh, do all the dirty work for me. I don't like prestidigitation. That is truly the laziest of mages. <laughs> <laughs> Mine has the divine soul of a deity who would highly frown upon these type of, you know, barbaric, uh, adventurous type activities. So in order to stay within the technical guidelines of your divinity, you can't handle these things directly. You need to kind of solve your problems by proxy. Nice. Um, mine is a, a pacifist, but also a lawyer. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> I've never killed anyone, good sir. <laughs> is, is pacifism a technical philosophy? <laughs> I, would, I would never even hurt a fly. Sure. I might paralyze that fly so that someone can stab it and kill it instantly. Sure. Okay. But I don't know how that makes me uh, liable in any way. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes that helps new listeners find the show. And this is Work, 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 Five Stars by Dinosaur Whisperer. Work phone, who dis? Got myself a new eyepiece and figured I'd put it to some good use. Five stars for the Jensen NYC. Thank you, boys, for keeping my hobby alive in my mind in this tumultuous time that that is young fatherhood. Without your dulcet tones in my ears week in and week out, I might have been lost in this fantasy road months ago. Your product is excellent and worth a listen for the new and old alike. P.S. The Smite Biter is exactly as much fun as you'd think. Thanks for that, too. Nice. Uh, one, congratulations on young fatherhood. Two, I hope you are keeping it all together during lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, hey, everyone, let us know if you play character creation forge builds because, like, we throw these out into the world, but never actually know if like you're playing any of these and you like them. I I would have guessed the smite biter would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that felt like a great one shot character. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using family members. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Brother in Arms. Well, that's it for episode 256 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.